Perfect, and uh, we're live, Sumi, finally. Yay! We're up and running, <laughs> so let's see how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sumi, we did uh, get a chance to talk yesterday and got a, catch, got a chance to catch up. Uh, until yesterday, I really didn't know, have any idea what's, what's going on with you, because every time we met for the past few There's years... always something new. <laughs> always something new, and it was always like a head spin for me, right? Because I thought I was doing a lot of different things yeah. until I met you. And what is it? So ex-Microsoft, ex-Government of Canada, ex-VC, right? Startups under your belt. Yeah. Um, can you go into a little bit of your past? Uh, tell me uh, about yourself. Yeah. So, um, so like currently right now, I'm the chief strategy officer for the Junior Project, which okay. is an agritech firm. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to, was going to do. I was supposed to go to law school, do all of that. Um, but um, I was a young liberal in university, and the one led to the thing to led to the another. Mm -hmm. um, so spent a couple of years doing that. So as a senior advisor uh, for a couple of cabinet ministers. Um, so what brought you to politics? Like, what was the driving um, force there? I've, my family's always been involved in politics. Yeah. I went to my first political event, like for Crutchian back in the nineties. Okay. Um, when I was a teenager, and uh, yeah, it was all—it was a bug that bit me. It was like I was a political science major, um, regardless of like what was happening back home and stuff. My family was always quite involved, so I got the opportunity. I, I literally sat around while the uncles all talked politics, yeah. right? So I had that exposure, um, and it was great because coming from a, a country where we didn't have much of a choice or a say to be able to be then part of an institution here and to be able to be part of a system that you could affect change was yeah. really something that I guess led me into government. Yeah. So I, I did that for quite a number of years. Um, and then after that, you know, landed in nonprofit for a couple of years doing public affairs, government relations stuff. And then, um, but- So within government, you got mm -hmm. pretty high credit quickly, right? Yeah, I was, I, I was lucky, I was, uh, as a community side, I was like yeah. one of the first Tamil, you know, staffers in government back then. Um, I was senior management by the time I was 27. Nice. Um, so what, what year was this around? Uh, what administration? Really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> totally aging myself. <laughs> Sorry. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with my age now, so it's all good. Yeah. Um, but this is part of the McGinty sort of um, government. Yeah. So back in the like the 2000s, right? Okay. So. Um, I started off in government in like early 2000, so I was in probably until about 2011. Um, so 2007, 2008-ish, yep. um, you know, I was like 27 and awesome. And I was sitting uh, at the cap, like you know, at the management table with uh, senior political officials. So that experience probably gave you a lot of driving force when it comes to Definitely. being an operator and being able to. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, cause, because I was juggling so many files, yeah. I, you, were, you always had to be on your toe. There was something new that was coming up. You, um, because it was sort of like a political advisor, I wasn't like the expert, like subject matter expert, but then mm -hmm. I had subject matter experts to lean on to, right? We had the civil service that did that, but I of course had to learn and to actually know a little bit about it so that I could provide the right advice to, you know, to the elected officials. Yep. So um, it meant that I had to learn on my toes and yeah. uh, adapt very quickly, which I think has been great, um, considering all of my like 
my career changes over the last couple of years since yeah. I left government. So, yeah. yeah. And from that, you went to NGO? Kind I of went to an NGO. I was with the Heart and Stroke Foundation for a couple of years. Um, so we've done some like really hard-hitting, award-winning campaigns, um, national, both international levels. And then I also worked with government because yep. it was a nice transition out, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right? So you're in both government and NGOs, uh, Start and Stroke mm -hmm. Foundation. You're working more on media, communications? Um, it, was, uh, it was a little bit of marketing. It was a little bit of government uh, corporate affairs. Okay. Um, so it was like, you know, building campaigns, building policy. So because I had the sort of the expertise in like all areas, yeah. I was able to put together like a full round. So in government, you know, I think one thing was that because you could you'd had policy mandate items and stuff like that. But the, the thing that I was really good at is taking that policy item and actually implementing it into programs. Mm -hmm. Right, so being able to go from the high level to sort of the execution, so ideation to all the way up to execution was sort of my thing yep. um, to be able to do, and um, you know I was I've been able to kind of use that skill set over the last couple of years in the various sort of industries that I've been involved in. So awesome, um, and then that somehow led you to Microsoft. Sort of, okay. yeah. Uh, I started a small consulting business for a bit. That didn't go the way I wanted to go. Um, what was that aim for? Like, what we wanted to um, do? So we were looking at sort of like helping nonprofits, diversity matters, and so forth, which is what my my co-founders wanted to do. Okay. I was always very much interested in business and in tech, yep. and I kind of wanted to veer towards that and get more exposure in that area. Okay. So we just decided to kind of divest, uh, you know, in that matter. So switching from government NGOs to tech, mm -hmm. right? Um, was that a life term, uh, lifetime? Ambition, or do you see a landscape changes? Um, um, what was the motivation there? It was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think, one, I had the opportunity and the exposure within that environment. So I met a bunch of folks within sort of the, the business environment, because mm -hmm. that's where I wanted to be. And so that meant putting myself in places where I would meet those folks. Um, and that kind of led me towards California. So I met some really great people out there that have become my advisors and mentors. And they kind of led me towards the sort of the startup um, sort of environment. Mm -hmm. And that was a motivation for that was the idea to be able to be part of something where you're building it stuff from scratch. Yep. And to help a team kind of grow that was, I guess, my motivation in that end. Um, and it kind of led back to sort of like what I did in government with respect to policy and, and programs. Okay. Um, it's sort of like high level, there's the visionaries, but if you didn't have the people to execute those visions, then they're not going to go anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I was able to sort of support in that end. Great. Awesome. And then uh, that experience, how did that shape you? Uh, it opened a lot of doors. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, it opened doors that then ended up like at Microsoft for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to work with the president's office here in Canada, um, as well as in the US, uh, you know, did organized events for Satya Nadella which is, and Bill Gates, which I don't know many in my sort of, I guess, um, network had that same opportunities. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some definitely do have now, but um, it was nice to be able to, to have that, especially for a girl who grew up in Rexdale, from mm -hmm. nothing to like, then going to an event with like Bill Gates was like, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. From Rexdale to Bill Gates. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, 
And how was the experience at Microsoft? Um, it was great. Yeah, um, you did corporate affairs there as well? I was the public relations lead for Canada for corporate affairs team. So mm -hmm. I did like, you know, supported the sales team. Well, this is when team. Microsoft was opening the offices here? Um, um, they've already been in, in Canada for a couple of years, yeah. but then we opened up a development center out in Vancouver. So I was, you know, I was able to support that. Yeah. Um, the last, um, the last couple of, the last year that I was there, you know, they were doing a lot more startup stuff, which was great because that was the area that I wanted to support in. Um, you know, they were making investments in AI and like with Element AI and all of that stuff. So mm -hmm. it was really nice to be on the, even on the, the edge of everything that was happening. It was cool to like watch it all happen. Yeah. Right. Um, so that was a great experience. Um, but it's corporate. Um, you can only do so much. Um, and I, it, I, you know, bitten by the startup bug, I, yep. I wanted to be able to go back and support that system a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, just the early stage side. Yep. Um, so, so I decided to quit my corporate job. <laughs> okay, okay. Perfect. And was, was that a sort of motivation there? What do you want to be? Uh, yeah. What you want to be doing? Yeah. Yeah, it was sort of like I, I loved it there. It was great. The people were wonderful. I mean, a lot of doors were opening for me, mm -hmm. um, but I felt like my um, my experience and my expertise could be more helpful at a at a level where you know young startups were like coming out. I also wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. All right. Like I've got a bunch of ideas um, that I wanted to kind of focus on, and it was about you know time that I kind of um, did that. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> awesome. So, um, back to where we were, I guess. <laughs> um, I have a Shiva as well, so. <laughs> I still brought a prop. It's got to turn out That's always you. good, right? Turn out do you. <laughs> So, okay, so that brought you, that, so after Microsoft, you went and did a few startups, or you, you consulted a few yeah, startups? Yeah, I consulted Sorry. with a couple of startups. Okay. Um, so Anything in particular that stands out? Um, did an auto share startup in California. There was like a boot camp um, one. There was a, a private equity blockchain company that I worked with for oh. a bit. Um, there was an auto tech one that I, that yeah. I have supported. Um, there was these guys out in California that were doing lighting, so some, uh, was sort of the next level lighting, like being able to um, kind of get the words out right now. But they're they're former Tesla Tesla folks yeah. that you know you go in the lights change automatically. Like you know they were doing like some cool stuff. Um, so, so being able to support them. Um, so there's like a wide range of it. So it was really nice to be able. I like I went in for short terms, right? Yeah. It wasn't like I was going in for the full thing. Yeah. Um, but it allowed me to see different sizes of like uh, sides of the startups yeah. and where what stages was where they were and kind of get an idea of as to like you know hardware startup versus just like a digital um, a digital app, right? So, okay. And that was a strategic on your part. Did you choose those streams in particular, or just something that interests you that just came out? That... They they came out organically, yeah. um, but it was also areas that kind of like interested me. Um, okay. Like for the auto tech guys, you know, like um, they were doing electric cars and stuff like that. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my my mentors is the former CIO of Tesla, which was great. Nice. And so he gave me sort of that, like, I guess the door into that area that yep. I was able to kind of look at. I mean, I'm no expert. Mm -hmm. um, don't ask me about cars. But 
you could see that this was where the next evolution of like innovations were happening and it was getting into the mainstream like I'm sure these things were happening all the time like in the versus the valley and in, in you know uh, in incubators and garages and all of that stuff but at the same time it was nice to see it all come out yeah. and like the mainstream populations kind of starting to get wind of it and get excited about it Great. so yeah awesome and then that brought you to the current startup you're working in now yes okay. um so I, I had started another business, so. Okay, yeah. So you want to um, talk about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I started a lot of businesses. Yeah. Okay. And some of them survived. Some of them haven't survived. Some of them are still percolating. Mm -hmm. um, so I started a venture initiative to support uh, diverse startups yes. and uh, women founders in California. So we we were doing that for a bit, um, and then a biotech startup to support like water purification <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And like waste management sort of uh, projects, um, yeah. so that's still kind of percolating. Okay. Um, and then I took a break. I ran in an election. Yeah. And that didn't go so well. <laughs> um, Sorry, whose election? Uh, it was the provincial election here in Ontario. Okay. Um, and then uh, yeah, and then at that same time, my brother, who is the founder of the current startup, yeah, um, he was kind of figuring out what he wanted to do, and he had this thesis idea around how to deal with food scarcity issues and how we can use sort of like modern technology to support the agricultural system. Mm -hmm. um, so he started uh, this full time over the last year. Um, and so he asked me to join him. So Perfect. here we are, another, yeah. sort of a family business. <laughs> awesome. So how was that journey? So what was the need? Like how did that, how that, how that journey into that startup start? The Dunya Project, right? Uh, the Dunya Project. So can he- you bring that up? Yeah, so he started it um, as a school project. Um, so they were part of the, um, so Clint, Hull Price and Clinton Foundation had, uh, one, one of the years, a couple of years ago, had an initiative to support like refugees and, and, and to be able to kind of their, their economy and such. Yeah. Um, so what my brother kind of came up with, um, so a little bit of backstory, my, our dad and our, our mom and dad moved back to Sri Lanka because our mom had, was a dementia patient. Mm -hmm. So my dad was you know, um, wanting to take care of her there, okay. but he was an agricultural officer. So of course, interested in all things agriculture. Right? He okay. started a, um, yeah. a greenhouse to kind of teach the young folks out there how to, um, to use modern technology to, to, to farm, especially in the area that we were coming from, dry zone, you know, okay. not the most arable land. But he ran yeah, into- How was it an issue? Like, what was he doing to make things different? Um, he was just tell, teaching them new methods, okay. right? Like that you could grow certain crops, like because it's a war-torn area, a lot of um, expertise was lost. Yeah. Um, a lot of, especially the younger generation didn't he know. the knowledge gap. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? But like he, his greenhouse was also facing the same things that the farmers are facing with droughts yep. and pests and such. So what Sujiwa and my brother came up with is that it, we would do a, um, a self-contained, a climate-controlled hydroponic unit okay. um, to be able to kind of grow food anywhere, basically, right? So, because hydroponic- That idea came out of a master's program he was doing? Um, he, he actually went back to university to finish his degree. Okay. Um, because he took some time off um, to support, like, our mom who was ill. Yeah. Um, but then he, he had worked at a, in a mining company for a couple of years, and then photography. So we we both- L it literally have had a lot of career changes over the, the years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But uh, so then, then he went back to school to do design engineering and so forth at OCAD. Amazing. Um, so that's kind of where it all kind of percolated out of. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 a uh, hydroponic unit. It's a proven sort of method already. Um, yep. Doesn't use as much water as people think it does. Okay. Um, and because it's a self-contained sort of uh, module, you don't use as much uh, you uh, have space. It here, right? So you're nice enough to show us your. Deck? Yeah, this is our introductory deck. This is like a little bit of our story as to, you know, why we started. Um, you know, one of the problems that we were uh, looking to kind of address is the fact that um, over 800 million people are starving, um, yeah. you know, globally, and we shouldn't have that issue. We actually produce enough food to feed everybody, but the, the global food system is not exactly working yeah. uh, as best as it should. Climate change is an issue, um, right? There's not as much arable land. Um, as it used to be, um, and with population increasing, we have to kind of figure out how to best kind of deal with that situation. Absolutely. So these are how these things look? Uh, so that's a cluster formation. Okay. Um, uh, it is patented, so one of the units actually can grow up to probably 1,200 kilograms of lettuce or something. Okay. Um, right, that's, that's arugula that we were growing out there. So uh, we're actually, we actually get it all tested by a laboratory here okay. to make sure that you know, the, the food that's being grown within, within the, uh, the plastics that we're using are you know, organic and there's no seepage and all of that stuff. But the way we've done it, it's, it's a flat back system, so Lego models, so it's, um, you can transport it anywhere. So it's not the big freight, uh, sort of the tractor trailer units, which are a bit cumbersome. Uh, and big HVAC systems and all of that stuff. So we're trying to make it easy to assemble low cost. So there's no climate control inside? There is a climate, it's okay. all climate control. There's okay. some passive tech that he's used, that NASA uses, nice. that to, to ensure that you know it retains and releases heat. Mm -hmm. um, we use like lighting systems that allows you to tweak the nutritious values of the produce that you're growing. Amazing. And that's something that also NASA's like been working on and, yeah. and such. Um, but it's great because it's, we don't use as much land, you don't use as much water, there's no pesticides used. Um, and it's, uh, we can, with the optimal lighting, we can mimic the sun, so you have year-round growth, right? So every four to six weeks, you have a harvest. Okay, wow. So um, say his, his um, thesis was around food scarcity in indigenous communities. So none yeah. of it is actually one of the, the the communities that has the largest portion of food scarcity issues in Canada, yeah. like 70%. Yeah, because of the transportation issue, right? Transportation issues. It's actually very pricey, food's exactly, very pricey there. Exactly, right? Yeah. So to be able to then to have one of these habitats there or a cluster of them to be able to produce uh, fresh produce for the community yeah. that's closer to home. Is Wouldn't the uh, lack of sunlight uh, have No, any because issues? we've got lighting, uh, we've okay. got LED lighting inside, right? Okay. So that would mimic the sun. Um, and for, for power, you know, you can use wind or solar, or you can plug it into the grid depending on the, the power needs. Okay. Yeah. That's, okay, that's very versatile then. Yeah, it's very versatile. It's also connected to our precision arm, uh, farming app, which yep. uh, we actually call Amma. Okay, nice, nice. <laughs> so dunya means the world okay. um, in, in a lot of Arabic languages, because we were looking at like supporting refugee camps and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and then AMA is our precision farming app that monitors everything within okay. the system. So the pH level, the water, the lighting, and all of that stuff it's to ensure that you have a smart harvest. So right? how do they communicate? Because some of these remote areas might not have Wi-Fi. Like Wi-Fi. So our, our developer team is also doing um, one where you can get um, text messages. Okay. Right. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we've yeah. <laughs> we've had to kind of like look at everything. So Absolutely. we were in um, Botswana recently yep. for a conference, and one of the issues that came up was elephants. Who knew elephants was an issue? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> elephants like destroying um, farmland, or yeah? Okay. So there's a there's a, there's a um, I guess an area which is which is great for like uh, I guess tourism and, and whatnot, but they also um, have an issue with a lot of elephants, kind of disturbing the Sorry, units. How big are these? So these are about eleven square meters. Okay. They're about uh, six by, I want to say seven. Yeah. Um, and it's like he's done it in a beehive model to uh, minimize like too much waste of space and all of that stuff. Okay, okay. Um, so like I, I guess a six foot person could walk in in and out. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they're they can be put together. Yeah, it's easy to put together um, the way it's been designed. So two to three people, a uh, couple of hours can put it together. So what we wanted to do is that because we wanted to work with more vulnerable or rural farmers and such, mm -hmm. um, the ability to be able to ship out these units to them yeah. and for them to be able to do it on themselves. So they're not um, spending more money getting experts yeah. <laughs> coming okay. out to, yeah. to put it all together. They don't you know, require cranes and all of that stuff. Is there any kind of training required? Um, there's some slight training, but the way we've done it is it's very low tech. Yep. So it's pretty low tech to high tech. Um, so we're tr we're trying we're trying to do it in a way that it's intuitive. Okay. Um, so you know, folks that want to include the precision farming app, like we provide this basic app in the beginning, um, can use the app. But for those who don't need it, um, you know, hydroponic is pretty. Uh, it's it's not that hard to do. Okay. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we come from a farming background, agricultural background, but it's not like we've actually been farming since we've moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. um, it's like it's like every second generation who wants to, you know, move to the city and not do farming. We've now kind of circled back full circle, which our father laughs at because he's okay. like, oh, now you want to farm. <laughs> <laughs> now that technology is helping, right? Exactly, it makes right? it more fun. I mean, it, it, there's a few startups I, I was looking into actually, yeah. like, you know, that convert your backyard into an yeah. auto farmer, yeah. right? They can control from your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few kits online you can buy now and you can play around with. Exactly. So I'm, I'm really interested in this technology, right? Yeah. And um, it, it, you see a new generation now mm -hmm. who can now interface with uh, farming technologies and like grow their own food, resource from local yep. and things like that. So it, this is a great initiative, especially since it's focusing on uh, like a, uh, it's more of an impact. Yeah, right? a social our, impact. that's, that's our, our, our main vision is to be able to kind of help uh, communities um, have the ability to grow food regardless of wherever they are, right? Yeah. So um, so in southern Af southern regions of Africa, because the Kalahari Desert is is a big component of the, the landscape, yeah. um, you know, some rural uh, areas don't get as much um, mm -hmm. arable land to grow food. Um, and they also don't get as much like fresh produce. Like for, so in Botswana where we were, they get a lot of their produce shipped in from South Africa. So if anything were to happen there, they can jack up the prices or they won't have as much produce coming in. Okay. Right? And literally this year, they had to deal with like eight to nine months of droughts. Okay. So you don't know what's going to happen. So we're not saying that you, we are overtaking all of the farming practices. We see it as more of a complementary uh, process mm -hmm. where it's a backup plan for some farmers. Okay. Right. Do you have a cost model in effect for this? Like, how much would it take to like deploy one of these? Yeah, so we're uh, we're kind of figuring some of that out right now. Mm -hmm. But um, we're looking at anywhere between 
like 15K to about 25K. Okay. Which in comparison to our competitors is like a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> Definitely. Is that because your competitors are mostly targeting like more Western uh, More Western or? companies. Um, also, their, their, their systems are much bigger. So yeah. we're looking at like small scale farmers, SME sort of model. So that should be a competitor focusing more on governments um, and working NGOs. Larger farmers, larger farmers, larger, yeah. farmers, um, larger systems. So like, like it's, you know, not to name any names, but there's, you know, there's a company here that does the tractor trailer units, right? Yeah. They are at, um, they price their units about 200K, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And, and our yields are pretty similar, but ours is, is, is a hell of a lot. More less. compact, yes. more cost efficient. Like cost efficient because there's, you know, their their systems are like larger HVAC systems. Everything in ours is very small. Yeah. Um, we've done it in a way that so like if something breaks down in in rural markets or in such, they they're able to find some of the components there to fix it. So it's not like oh I have to call Canada to have somebody come in and fix it for okay. me. Right. And if some local hackers want to make their own additions. You know what? It's inevitable, inevitable yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's going to happen. It's it's just a matter of us getting out into the market first. On, mm -hmm. um, we have a proven pro like product. In that case, we know like if something works, it's going to get copied. Yeah, that's going to happen. Okay. Which is why we have patented a lot of things within it. So not even like uh, like like uh, copied. I mean, that's always going to always going to yeah. happen. But like, let's say, like I see this in a lot of in, in Asia and, and African countries, mm -hmm. right? They take technology and they make it their own in a, yeah. in a certain sense, right? They start fiddling around with it, yeah. right? Do you see a sense where there's like a developer community almost? Being, it probably will happen. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't think it's not going to happen. It probably will. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we're we're going to be deploying our beta units um, shortly, and in those cases, we'll be learning from it and figuring out like iterations and all of that stuff. And yeah, so some local folks may decide like you know what we kind of know what it is now. Like let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it's like what are we providing versus what they are providing, right? Okay. Gotcha. Um, it's the the way it is. Like it's. Like hydroponics and vertical farming, it's not new. Yeah. Like the Babylonians were doing it <laughs> like thousands of years ago. So yeah. we're not reinventing something. We're just providing them a uh, a solution that allows them to be able to take it anywhere. Right. So does it grow in soil or it grows in water? It's in water. It's in water. It's in water. Yeah. So in the arid environments, wouldn't water be an issue? Like how does it? How does so it you're still going to need water. Okay. <laughs> you cannot grow food without water. Gotcha. Products without water, right? Mm -hmm. But what we do is we use about ninety percent less water than um, traditional farming processes. Okay. And how is that maintained? Like is that proprietary or? Um, just. No, the the water the, the, yeah it's just the way it's 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 the way designed yeah it's it's way hydroponics works so it's not something that we've we've come to like we've kind of came up with okay. um, within the hydroponic systems they do um, use about ten percent um, of the land mm -hmm. like we can grow about one the same sort of I guess level of produce within an acre of, um, within a one tenth of an acre of like what normal produce would be done, gotcha. um, and they in hydroponic farming they do actually use about like ten like ninety percent less water. Mm -hmm. So now that's not something that we've come up with. That's that's like general sort of within the hydroponic farming that is well known. Perfect. Yeah. So the cost model structure, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're talking rural farmers and it's like fifteen to twenty thousand USD, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, what is how does that break down? Like how do they, these farmers afford these equipment? 
Well, I mean, you're, you're gonna wanna to be able to target farmers who can, yeah. um, but at the same time, like we're looking to work with um, NGOs, foundations, as well as governments who can provide subsidy to be able to support them, right? Um, I mean, in comparison to 200K, yeah. 20K is much more is, doable. Is, is much more doable. Um, and in, in meeting with a lot of rural farmers right now, we haven't had actually too much of an issue when it came to the price point. Yeah, I mean, working with NGOs sometimes there's a lot of backdoor dealings where mm -hmm. it's a lot of relations management, right? Yes. Do you anticipate there'll be an issue with your competitors where if someone knows someone better? Um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, it's 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 if, if it's going to be a competitive market, it's going to happen regardless. It's it's how do you leverage it? So in our instance, you know, we've brought we we've, we've got a. a close-knit team about 10 right now and leveraging within our like sort of our networks we've been able to you know um, work towards certain things so hopefully that we'll be able to announce soon yeah. um, but it's um, it's a matter of leveraging those opportunities right so like with my background in government and having worked with NGOs I kind of have a sense of like who to go up to and who to connect to and sort of like what kind of programs we need to do um, so kind of that's how it works, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, some, like these social impact companies, right? Yeah. They got their start with, um, I mean, I think one of the most famous examples is like, um, like Tom Shoes, I think, mm -hmm. where they, like, we buy a pair and they provide two more pairs to people in need. Right? Yeah, it's countries. like a social enterprise sort social of enterprise. model. That yeah. was a model that first yeah. kind of developed in, in the sphere, right? Yeah. Do you see anything like that? Because I can see this being like a Western model too. Someone wants it in their backyard. Yeah, so buy, we, can, we see it as both, yeah. right? So um, it, ingrained within our sort of like social psyche is the social innovation, social impact component. Yeah. Um, but we also want to make sure that it, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's, it's a market-based solution, right? Okay. We're not a for we're not a non-for-profit. We're a for-profit, so we wanted to be make wanted to make sure that it's actually um, commercially viable as well. So um, beyond just the farmers, you know, there's a lot of other sort of market um, that we can kind of tap into. So urban farming is one. Okay. Um, yeah, backyard farms. You know, farm to table very quick. Um, the fact that we are all seasonal farmers in Canada, you know, this is an opportunity for both, like not just for us, but uh, even our competitors, okay. um, because you're being able to grow closer to home, right? A lot of our, some of our fresh produce is coming from south of the border and, and even southern, south of that. Yeah. Um, so when they come, they get here, they're not as fresh. They're target, they're marketed as fresh, yeah. but they're not really fresh. Um, with hydroponic farming, because you know, you're, you might be able to grow lettuce year-round or kale or what whatnot um, so is it focused for, uh, on a few different um, only a few different types of food or is it yes so um, within our systems um, you can pretty much grow any leafy grains um, beans like chilies herbs you can do small tomatoes which are a high commodity here um, small onions mushrooms strawberries so there's a couple of things that you can grow but that's that's why it's a complementary process. You can like forego traditional farming, right? Yeah. You need soil-based farming for other for other produce and stuff. So, perfect. Yeah. Okay. It's like so. What's the what's the timeline looking like here? Like, how, where can I? When can I buy one? <laughs> uh, so you can pre-order one through us now, like okay, a great. special request. Um, we are aiming to have our betas out by, I guess, our early 2020. 
so we're in the process of like talking to our manufacturers to figure out. So mm -hmm. you want we want to put in a large order to be able to kind of make sure that that all comes through, right? So yeah. um, the probably the first couple of units hitting the ground will probably be early 2020. Perfect. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit more about social enterprises mm -hmm. and um, social in impact companies, yeah. right? Uh, this seems to be a new kind of economy growing, right, within the larger uh, innovation economy, yeah. right, um, where companies are more co concerned on the impact they generate, yes. right, uh, versus just, uh, you know, the budget sheet. Yeah, right? and that's a little bit of that is being driven by our sort of the millennial investors, mm -hmm. right, because they are, they are focused on making sure that, um, you know, where they're putting their money in is actually... Um, it's sustainable what like in that is there's like a social sort of component to it which is i think is what is driving um so i think right now within the sector you're looking at about 300 billion um dollars worth of social uh, impact investments wow, okay. um i mean that's minuscule compared to the fact that private equity market is like <laughs> 2.5 trillion yeah um, but it's still a huge component yeah. all right people are starting to understand that we don't just want a, another, no offense to Tinder or whatever, but like, it's just not a, we're not just building another Tinder app, yeah. right? That like, we are, um, you know, we are having a socially responsive sort of technology um, components to it, um, which is one of the reasons why I had to start Text Ventures a couple of years ago. You're and trying we, to break that gap? Yeah, sort of like, socialize it a bit more, um, my partners and I were very focused on social impact investing, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of how do we get folks to kind of understand that. So you told me something very interesting yesterday mm -hmm. that uh, I actually didn't realize. So you said social impact companies are actually more profitable yeah. than regular companies. Yeah. So right? there was a uh, McKinsey report, it's 2018 report or something, you can take a look, but they did a, um, I guess, a, a review of a number of uh, social impact uh, startups coming out of India. Yep. Uh, about 48 of them uh, exited with IRR of 10%, and some oh. of the ones at the top level were IRRs of like 34%. Okay. Right? So that's pretty good. Yeah. Do you have any like favorites among them? Like uh... not at the top of my head. Okay, no problem. <laughs> but um, but I mean I met like. I mean, it seems to be one of the problems in the industry. Like yeah. they seem to be doing great in general. Yeah. But there's no like uber unicorn no. we don't point to be like whoa look at that right but that's also the other thing that's like hyperinflationary yeah model. i i think those are kind of like they're coming to a point where everybody's realizing that you know what maybe they're not going to end up making money right yeah. like i think with uber, uber they just, came, like, out they just yeah. came out with that um i and we ended so up you, focusing on unicorns yeah. and like i think it was the term that somebody had used with me there's a lot of zebras Okay. In, in the mix, yeah. let's focus on them because they are also like we want companies that are not just like you hyperinflate them, you give them all this money, and then all of a sudden nothing happens, right? Yeah. You want sustainable companies, and I think that there's a point where we need to realize that we're building, we're not just like aiming for ex huge exits. Exits are great, but like you also want to have viable, long lasting, sustainable companies, right? Okay, okay. So, I mean, how does this help? Uh, well, How's this um, affected your funding strategies, right? Because if you can't point to like major uh, major companies mm -hmm. in the space, right? Is there a limited pool that the social impact companies go towards more likely, or is it more? Yeah. So I mean, I I can send you some examples afterwards. I just yeah. can't like at the top of my head, okay. but. Um, 
I mean, with, with social impact uh, companies, it is a lot harder because people don't kind of see it yeah. as much. Um, it, it takes a while for you to see the return. And, and most investors, they want to be able to put their money in and be like, oh, next year I'm like uber rich. Um, they're not looking at it as a long-term thing, right? Mm -hmm. So like even with when it comes to investors, we're looking at investors who want to, who are looking at it in a, at a longer-term model versus just short-term gain. Short-term gain, yeah. Um, but, and also hardware companies are always very hard to get funding. Um, but that's always been the case. It's just yeah. because we, even with hardware companies, it takes a while for them, for, for investors to see their returns because, you know, you're manufacturing, there's, there's so many upfront, um, capital, um, investments that needs to be made within the company. Yeah. It takes a while. Whereas like, you know, I can build an app and I can put it in and I'm like, okay, like issue it out in like India where there's like a billion people and. 10% of them or 1% of them like sign up and are like, oh wow, it's a success. But for, for me, I'm, we're looking at, you know, um, companies that have like tangible sort of like social sort of societal um, solutions. Okay, so I mean, this is a, seems to be a great space, mm -hmm. but I feel like there should be more companies in it targeting different problem sets, yep. right? Um, anything else that stands within you within the agricultural technologies? Um, um, so, I mean, within the space of so precision farming as a new, like, it's, it's... So what, what is that? So precision What's farming is just smart farming. So using data, um, so, you know, you collect sensor with, with all of the sensors and stuff, you kind of figure out what the soil composition is, what water needs to be going in and, and so forth. Um, it's more smart. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's smart agriculture, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that there hasn't been, been like, the, the sector hasn't been doing it, but I think people are starting to see the viability of it as a business. It's more accessible to It's accessible, wider... like one, farmers are like starting to understand that, you know, with data, like they can, you know, have a smarter harvest um, because you're putting in the right amount of nutrients, you're putting in the right amount of waters, mm -hmm. and you know when your crops are gonna be ready and all of that stuff. Um, and you know what kind of soil composition is and 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 so forth right and then like the sector and investors are starting to see the sort of the potential within the market so there are people starting to kind of understand that you know what the agricultural space is not something that is like totally outside of the bubble it's like it's something that you know you could invest and you could actually make money great so in the, within I mean, the we space, all have to eat right yeah absolutely so you know, what is What's the vision here? Like, what is an ideal um, future for you within this space? Like, mm -hmm. how do these companies work together? How do, the, how do countries work together? Um, what does that look like? Wow, that is a good question. Yeah. Um, I think for us, we're, we're, like, we're still evolving. Um, for us, it's like if we can, even with a small percentage, be able to support the families and like communities to being able to have uh, nutritious food, uh, on their table to help farmers kind of scale up their production and actually um, have a um, like a, an income generating sort of opportunity, which that would be amazing. And I, yeah. I, I can't tell you what where that would be at this point. Um, the we we're trying to do a holistic system. So we have the hardware where you can grow the food. Yep. We have the app that allows you to um, you know kind of have a better understanding and monitor it and you can do, you know, you can close it up and go away and do something else, right? Um, we're also um, 
running a roadmap towards a digital sort of marketplace that allows you to then tap into that data that we're getting and to be able to sell direct to consumers. And for farmers to be able to say, okay, especially in certain rural areas, like so in certain parts of Africa, they actually, like Africa spends $35 billion in importing food, produce mm -hmm. into the company, okay. uh, into the, sorry, the country, the country continent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they have the land and they have the people to be able to prod produce their own and to be able to export it out. But because everything is, um, the, the agricultural practice is very um, old school traditional, they haven't been able to produce as much to get to the next level, right? We want to be able to support that system. We want to be able to support farmers who are just like building uh, farming just to be able to feed their family, not only to feed their family, but then to, add, to generate extra income okay. by selling the extra produce um, and, right, and being able to scale up their sort of their production levels as well. Um, so it's, it's very, I know, like blue sky-ish and like, I don't have numbers for you right now okay. as to where we want to go. Yeah. Um, we're still a very early stage company, but you know, if we're able to do even a small fraction of what is needed, um, you know, we'd be very happy. No, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm very uh, passionate about the incubator accelerator space and what, like the support structure meant for startups. Yeah. Because there's so much goes into building these kind of companies and. You know uh, the silos that are, uh, to operate companies mm -hmm. right as they grow, especially in the need change. Yeah. Um, support structure has been evolving a lot, and um, I was actually talking to a friend recently, uh, Patrick Farrar, who's the CEO of Startup Zone. Shout mm -hmm. out to PEI, <laughs> right? Uh, because there were 72 companies in PEI, yeah. and uh, out of that out of that one place, and a large fraction of them work in rural problems, mm -hmm. right? So literally, how to build better lobster traps? Yep. Right, how to build um, farm technologies, yeah. agriculture These are things that people need. Right, and one of the things he found is that he actually took a trip to India yeah. and found, figured out a whole bunch of companies doing this kind of stuff there. Yeah. Whereas the rest of Canada, the rest of the North American market is not as interested. It's, no, it's we're, more... we're very focused on our superficial needs of like, not that, you know, finding your your partner is not a, is not an important thing Absolutely. but that's not the only thing like there are bigger issues like poverty and and food scarcity and just like all around like that we shouldn't have Absolutely. in in a global environment where we produce enough food and we have enough money to be able to make sure that everybody is like having a a good standard of living yeah and one of the things that he's doing is um bringing in the resources of PEI, mm -hmm. of the startup zone there, and merging it with um, incubator systems within South Asia, yeah. right? Saying that, hey, we're solving similar problem sets, so like how can we collaborate, yes. right? And this is what's really interesting is that this cross-pollination of ideas mm -hmm. and, and um, abilities and resourcing, right? Uh, you have traveled around, mm -hmm. especially within this space. Do you see that happening in here? Like, are people communicating are the different climates? I think so. Meeting? I mean, when I when I go to um, any other country, like if when they when they hear about Canada, they're very appreciative. Like, they want to have Canadian expertise. We have we have a great brand globally. Um, people believe in our, the expertise that we provide. They mm -hmm. believe in sort of I guess the 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 knowledge as well as the technology that we're able to provide so they want to hear from us so I think there's great opportunities there it's just a matter of capitalizing on it um, and considering that Canada we are so multicultural we have 
literally transnational ambassadors within our communities, all of our communities here that yeah. can help us leverage and and start those conversations in different different countries. Mm -hmm. And why shouldn't we do that? I mean, it's it's a global economy. We're not we're not isolated. Yeah. Um, we don't have the population base to to have the big market. And where like you build the technology here, and this is the only market that you support, right? Yep, yep. You want to be able to grow beyond this market and support those. So I mean, with your background, I guess you need to qualify to answer this. I mean, do you like where did that start? Does it start from a top like government level? Does it happen from corporations? Or individuals who are dispassionate. I think it's it's a combination of everything. Government cannot do everything, yep. right? So I think we need to kind of understand that. Um, yeah. Having come from government, government is only able to do as much as information as they have and as much support as they get from everybody else. We shouldn't expect government to do everything. Like I think you know, corporations, like companies, civil society, whatever. Everybody kind of needs to be part of the solution to be able to have that conversation because like. Here in Canada, we are starting to build a very more, I guess, uh, a kinder sort of climate towards startups. Whereas, like before, everybody you, you start as a startup here and you go to you yeah. go to the U.S. Right? Yeah. Like the, much support the, the yeah, and the brand that that I think it's a combination of what what the government has been doing and what the startup ecosystem here um, has been doing. Uh, has allowed us to be able to start growing that ecosystem a lot more. Um, I I recall like a few years back, well, like probably ten years more. You know, we were looking at clusters and startup systems and all of that, and and people were very risk adverse. They didn't want to do much and 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 so forth. And I mean, I was just part of like a small team that was looking at it, but. From that stage to now, where I see a lot more people working together, I mean, we have Collision coming up. Yep. Right? It's, and you guys are going to be there as well? Uh, we're going to be there. We're in Alpha Exhibit. Uh, so Any pretty check good us goals? Out. Any pretty good, of course, yeah. <laughs> check us out there. Done your project. Um, you know, we're beating yeah. people. We're, we're, you know, we just want to kind of get it out there, let people know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, we were at uh, Web Summit in Portugal. We oh, had okay. a huge success. We, How was that? Uh, it was awesome. Um, we were part of the Alpha exhibit there, and that one was like sort of like we weren't sure what to expect, but we were blown out of the water. Like yeah. literally, our day of exhibit was like back to back. Everyone was like so hyped about it and wanted to understand a little bit more. So, and we've been kind of building those relationships since to kind of hopefully they will you know materialize into other things later. But uh, no, like the Toronto ecosystem, the Canadian startup ecosystem has definitely grown. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we're able to understand that, you know, we're tapping into a whole, like the whole global market. Like people are coming from different, whether it's China or India, to work here. And, and it's the same vice versa, right? So, mm. um, so, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I was at Collision uh, 2015 in Las Vegas. Okay. And that was crazy. Yeah. Like 10,000 people coming through every day, uh, foot traffic, mm -hmm. uh, 3,000 uh, startups exhibiting. Yeah. Um, it was in like, an, like three airplane, ex airplane hangars. Yes. Like, so <laughs> massive. Yeah. But um, I'm excited to see what kind of effect that'll have for Toronto and the Canadian climate, right? Yeah. That kind of just that capacity to showcase talent, yeah, it, innovation. Yeah, it puts us at a different level, right? Absolutely. Just like internationally. So our team will be there. I'm actually in California because we're also part of the Silicon Valley Forum's Women in Tech. Awesome. So we got picked as one of 10 um, startups to pitch okay. there. Okay. So 
it's all divided up. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, you got to like, uh, yeah, we gotta I do guess everything. divide up and do everything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's not the only thing you guys just got into. You also got into Cisco's Global Challenge. Yeah, so we are finalists um, as part of the Cisco Global Problem Solver Challenge. Okay, okay. So it's a grand prize of 100K, which amazing. would be amazing. Um, but we're also, there's voting right now until May 17th for the People's Choice Awards. Okay. Um, so we are the only Canadian company um, yeah. on the list out of 15. So I'm hoping the rest of Canada will help us. Awesome. Um, because that's another hopefully, extra 10K. <laughs> hopefully we release before then. That'd be nice. And uh, this video can help you get <laughs> some votes. Not, uh, you know, uh, we'll find out on May 20th whether we made it or not. Okay. Um, it's still, it's still um, a wonderful opportunity, right? So like the fact that we've made it this far yeah. um, in such a short term a time. And you're the only Canadian company on this list? Yeah. Yeah, that's pr pretty crazy because um, I mean, we see $100,000 competitions here and there, but Cisco is doing a global challenge. Exactly. And that's kind of prestigious, mm -hmm. right? Any particular company that came out of before that you, uh, that you liked? Like, how, how is the, this is the third year they've been doing this, This is this, their right? third year. Um, I'll be frank with you. I didn't really look at to see who had won last year. Um, I know in having the conversations, because um, we, were, we were part of the semifinals and, and so forth, and after that, we had to do another submission, and so we had a, had a chance to talk to some of the advisors and stuff, and they were pretty psyched to see, like, the fact that we were doing this. And, yeah. Uh, the fact that we were doing sort of like a modular unit that can be pretty much shipped anywhere. Um, and the ability, of course, like our social impact sort of vision to be able to have food grown regardless of irrespective of climate conditions was yeah. something that they liked. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, it still stands above the others, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, um, so back to that, like, so validation yeah. is super important for any kind of startup, right? To validate your idea mm -hmm. from your customers, from potential investors, right? Uh, people within the space, yeah. right? How would you guys go about that to test this idea to uh, get to the point you're at now? Um, so it was just meeting with various um, sort of sectors, right? So farmers, um, we've met with developers, restaurant folks, um, the cannabis industry, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> they're, they're Where all the money's flowing in right now. Money's so. flowing, and they're definitely interested. Um, uh, and, and like so NGOs. So you can grow cannabis in these? Yeah, you, you could. Okay. Yeah, we can tweak it. We can I think tweak that it. Uh, the marketability right there. The, yeah, we might have to be. It's not exactly aligned to our sort of our social sort of like grow food sort of component, but you, there is a commercial viability for it. So you know, we have, yes. that's something we will have to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, but we have been approached by them um, just because it it allows them to kind of because you can do grow it in silos. So okay. it keeps it contained so it doesn't con if the one crop fails the next one doesn't necessarily have to right um so there is that yeah there's opportunities there um we i mean we're we're happy to have a conversation and see where that goes mm -hmm. um you know when we're working looking at um ngos or even small-scale farmers when it when it comes to africa or southeast asia you know you're looking at also programs that support women empowerment um, food scarcity issues poverty allevi uh, alleviations and all of that so you're looking at it in more of a like a holistic program. So we're not simply just looking at crop increasing crop production um, we're looking at making sure that their people are getting the right nutritious foods at, to their table perfect that's 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 quite an ambition statement. It is, yeah. it is. But hey, you got to dream big. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And speaking of dream big, um, you told me you have a lot of ideas. You've been mm -hmm. working on different things and been helping with this. So outside of done your project, 
what do you what else do you see yourself solving or anything else you're passionate about um so there are, the there's a couple of things that i wanted to like work on um you know uh political um engagement uh just yeah. becoming coming having come from uh politics but you know what for the time being my focus is on dunya okay yeah perfect are we doing for time uh, wrap up All good okay so <laughs> We got two minutes. <laughs> so, any, any last words and any questions for me? Uh, where do you guys see this uh, going? Um, you know, and congratulations on starting this. Thank you. I you mean, know, the startup podcast has been a startup, <laughs> right? Um, this is the second time trying to get things filmed. Mm -hmm. And even today, we ran into some technical issues. But uh, it's been a journey and a, and a process. Uh, the main thing we want to do with this is just create content around um, startups, yeah. right? To showcase you know, people who have gone through uh, different stages, whether they're starting off, they're senior into startups, uh, they're founders, they're investors mm -hmm. into startups, or professionals who kind of hedge their professional skills, working on multiple startups, see where they, where they can, how they can grow them. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the innovation economy of the general is going to be the new model for growth. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, growth in other industries has stagnated. Right. AI automation is coming in to take jobs. Yeah. Well, now it's time for creators. It, uh, it has to evolve. Right. Um, yeah. And founders need need staff and founders need executors so everybody can be a part of this you don't have necessarily have to be the founder you don't necessarily have to be the developer yeah um i mean we have we have a great team of developers but we also have a team of like uh, business engagement professionals within our team right so mm -hmm. you need everybody to be able to make a company right. successful we were talking yesterday about yeah. the difference between visionaries <laughs> and operators yes. right visionaries who chase a particular idea or almost almost like dragged to this holy grail star, right? And they have to accomplish it, and that's their motivation yeah. there. The operators are more systematic in their process, yeah. right? And two kind of need to be combined mm -hmm. to run these, right? That's why, like, uh, at a certain point, right, you know, like the founders of companies step down and a CEO steps in, yeah. right? Compatibility of skill yeah, sets. Yeah, there's, there's changes in a company. Like, you've got, you know, you've got the first team that starts the company and kind of visionary and all of that stuff. But then, you know, once it gets to a certain level, then you need to have, like, a certain management level that can sustain the company. Mm -hmm. So you will see kind of that changes that are happening. I think people just need to understand it. Sometimes we have to step outside of our founder and our CEO roles to yep. make sure that the company is sustainable in the long run, right? Perfect. I think with that note, I think we're a little bit over time, mm -hmm. but uh, we're great. Shout out to Pratip and Wild Rabbit for helping with all the video and setup. Thank you. And Sumi, thank, thank you, you for uh, joining me here. Oh, well, thank all you right. for having me. Hopefully yeah. I didn't talk too much. Well, <laughs> I think it was great, right? Perfect. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Bye. guys.